Natalie Jackson and this is Sea Sporty Be Sporty. It's season three and we are talking to some legends of English football, but maybe not ones you've heard much from before. Why? Because it's a Euros summer and this year the women's Euros are in England. England 2022 is happening all across England from Southampton to Sheffield and we are getting excited about it. This week, I am super excited to be joined by an absolute England legend, former England captain, most capped England footballer of all time with 119 England caps until she was picked by Rachel Yankee in 2012, Doncaster Rovers Bells legend, MBE in the 2021 honours list, scorer of 30 international goals. I'm gonna have to breathe, Jill, I'm gonna have to breathe, there's too much. Twice National League winner, I think, and six times FA Cup winner. Welcome, Gillian Coulthard. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you so much for being here, Joel. I am super excited. Um, I have just warned you before you press record, before we press record, um, that before we dig in too far, we need to play my favourite game, which today is 11 things everyone should know about Jill Coulthard. So, are you ready? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Um, here we go. Cake or pie? Pie. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Warm weather or cold weather? Warm weather. <laughs> Love Actually or Bend It Like Beckham? Bend It Like Beckham. Hot chocolate or coffee? Mm, coffee. Digital watch or analog watch? Analog. Box sets or movies? Box sets. Singing or dancing? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> <laughs> watching football or watching tennis? Football. Cardio or weights? Cardio. Oh, interesting answers. Feel like we are getting to know you better already. How was it? <laughs> oh, it was all right. I thought there was some different questions in there what I had to think about, but yeah, very good questions. Good to answer anyway. <laughs> good to hear the answer. And I think that that actually is a really good starting point because I think your career, both for Doncaster Bells and for England, was legendary. There's just no other way. And looking at your career, it was, it was absolutely legendary. And if you have an interest in women's football, you, you will have heard of you. You know, people listening to this podcast who have an interest in women's football will have heard of you. But in this series, we are intentionally talking to legends of football that we may not have heard as much from as some other legends of football. And I mean that in the, in the kindest way. I think people, for people like yourself, it makes me, and I don't want to start on an angry note, but it makes me frustrated and it makes me angry that the wider country, the wider world, don't know more about your story. And you come across in what I read and what I've seen on social media as positive, inspiring to, to young generations, inspiring to those who might want careers in football and someone who, you know, dreamed big and made it to the height of their career and their profession. But do you ever get annoyed about the gender gap that you must have faced? Not really. I don't, I don't think I do. I, I just, I just think now we're starting. The people in my era, generation, are starting to get the accolades that they deserve for what yeah. they did. And I think I've said it before in a couple of interviews. You know, we had that lo we had that lost era 
where women's football nobody wanted wanted to know about. Whereas now it's regalvanizing, obviously with the FA and the way that the WSL are going on and and things like that. The England team, St George's Park, it's it's totally different, a thousand percent totally different to when it was obviously my era. But it's great now that we're starting to get the accolades. We're starting to be involved in things, especially you know I've been doing lots of media things for for obviously the finals for this year, which has been great because why do you really want to pick me? You know, there's thousands of girls out there that have, have played football. So for me, it's been great these last few few weeks and, and long may it continue to the finals. I, I love that about you, Jill, because I think I'm I'm angry on your behalf, but actually you are such you know, such a sort of positive force. And I think that's exactly why they pick you, because actually you've been at the height of your career and you are such an inspiration to girls starting out in football or girls in their late 30s like me looking at, at your career and seeing what you've done. You had made your England debut 1981, is that right? Yeah, 1981. And, you know, I think... I think I've said before, everybody has a dream when you're a young kid, whatever sport you want to play or take up is that, you know, you want to play football, you want to play for England, you want to captain England, you know, I want to be captain, I want to, you know, do all the great things. And, and everybody has dreams. I'm sure the local girls who are kicking about the ball now, they want to play football for England, they want to play at Wembley. And unfortunately for me, I've done the lot. So now everybody seems to be raking up all these achievements that I've done. I think for me now, I'm reflecting and thinking, wow, I actually did that, you know, and I just, because it went to bed for so many years, you know, being the most capped player for, for a long time until, obviously, until Yanks take, took the, the 120 and, you know, and now all of a sudden everything's been brought to the forefront again and it, and some of the things that people are telling me, I didn't know that I've even achieved. I mean, I, I'm, I'm supposedly the top player who's played more UA for championship games. I think it's 63. And I think it's um, the, the lady from Italy, Maracci, she's played, I think she's below me. So I never even knew that. So these, all these little things now are starting to pop up. And it is true what people say. When you finish your career, then you can reflect because it, it, there's loads of things that's happened that I didn't even know that I'd done. It's amazing. Well, yeah. I think as well, coming from a big family of eight, and I am quite humble, we didn't have a lot of money, and football was really all that I had. And for me to go on to do what I've done, with lots of support from family, teammates, football clubs, you know, I won't be sat here today doing the things that I'm doing and talking to yourself. In, so you grew up in Thorn in Yorkshire? West Yorkshire, South Yorkshire, it's moved, is that...? <laughs> I live in Yorkshire. It's confusing. <laughs> I live in Yorkshire as well. I live in Castleford, so ah, I'm not too lovely. far away. No, not at all. So what, what was that like growing up? Was, was football big in Thorne? What was, what was it like? It was big because we, had, we didn't have anything like iPads, phones. You had to make your own fun and your own fun and games. You know, we played marbles. We played um, Kirby football. We played different season sports. We had a road running through and we had ours as greens on one side and my green. So we were the odds and they were the evens. So when we'd, during school holidays, it were, we used to play cricket against each other. We used to get all the, because there were big families in those days. There's a family, Mowds, they had 13. Then there was sixes, mm. sevenses. So we all got together and then further, because the load was quite long, we then took the bottom end, the bottom of Southfield Road where I played and we played their teams. 
So it was just one good, fantastic bringing up, really, because we had to make the best of what we've got. And then I played football at school, as you as you probably well know. And then I got mm-hmm. banned from playing, went to the grammar school, and then obviously got taken to Bells at 13. And that were a different scenario again, because I thought my football had been taken away from me, being banned from playing for the lads team. And, and luckily... There was a team there, which I've ne- I never heard of Doncaster Bells. I've, I've, I heard of um, QPR and Southampton women when it came to the cup finals, but I never heard of Bells. And as I can say, the, re- the rest is history, really. Tell us more about that being banned bit. What were you doing before then and how, how did that come up? Uh, yeah, I got banned. Uh, I used to play for the, the school team at uh, infant school, junior school and middle school. Uh, played against other schools, obviously. Uh, and then... Because I was going into the grammar school, they felt that the physicality is obviously there might be a problem there. And the thing is, I was a girl and I couldn't play mixed football, but I was still playing. I played from eight to going up to grammar school, which was four or five years. So I didn't know any different. I even did school games with the boys. I didn't do the girls sports. I didn't play hockey. I didn't play netball. Um, I just played all the rugby and the cricket and the football. And were you were there other girls doing that or was were you different? No, just me. How how did that come about then? It was just just because the way that I want I wanted to play football and you know I was brought up with it with my family and I just thought yeah I just want to continue doing this and and that was it really so it was a big bit of a you know quite upsetting that I couldn't play in the grammar school because everybody knew that how good a footballer I was yeah, and you must you know, have been like really I, good. I, yeah yeah I mean just I think that put me forward for the district team. Uh, I couldn't play in that because I was a girl, but they still allowed me to play with the lads during PE lessons and other things. So, yeah, weird. Was it quite, I guess, telling a child that, was it quite matter-of-fact the way they said that to you? Because what a weird thing to say to a child. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. And But obviously, before they told me, they did say they'd got a plan, you know, that we've, we've found on Custer Bells and, and mm. you know, we'll take you down there and... and like I say, the rest the rest is history. How far was that from home? How far was, was Doncaster from home? From home, it was, a, I'd say, a 35-minute bus trip. So I used to go on the local bus, and then there used to be a girl called Denise Pittock who played for Bells, and she used to pick me up at the bus stop, and we went to training, and she used to drop me off, and I got on the bus, made sure I got on the bus, and she did that for, I think, since the day she retired, to be fair. Logistic. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then on a Sunday, if we're playing away in Nottingham, I'd make way over to Doncaster again. And we didn't have minibuses then. Players used their own cars. So, yeah, very good. Yeah, and such a, I guess, you know, what other brilliant, talented children who just happen to be boys, how many others of them would have to go through all of that rigmarole just to play the game they were good at? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, you know, there's lots of parents now that are taking the young boys, young girls to training, you know, to whether it's Bells training or other clubs who are going twice a week and then to games. They do, they do sacrifice a lot of time. Mm. Unfortunately for me, I just had to get on a bus. So <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have cars in those days. We just had enough money to get me on the bus and get back. Oh, it feels like we are we are making significant progress. We, I, I'm taking, I'm saying we, I'm taking some credit for this. I have no credit for this, but it does feel like we're making progress in terms of, and you know, there we've heard from other other episodes on this podcast series about you know the FA ban and the the 
sort of feelings around that. You were sort of, I guess, the the first generation to come after that ban. You know, playing in the 70s and 80s was the... I've heard people, and people have said to me in terms of the work that we do, oh, well, you know, once that ban was lifted, it was it was a fair playing field. It was level. That, that just doesn't seem to have been the case. You know, there's so much that was being fought against and, and all of that. And I do think it's... Yes, it's brilliant that that your generation are getting these accolades and recognition now, but I just think it's you, we can't do enough to fix that because it. it... No, we, we we can't we can't do enough. But you you know the thing is as well. I I always think about the people before me that created the situation that I was in because I wouldn't have done what I've done if it weren't for those people. So we've just got to keep you know keep reminding people of the generations who played women's football, you know, you go back to Dick Kerr ladies and, and things like that. And, you know, it's great now that we, we can put them in the forefront as well. And, and I think it's nice that, you know, these young girls now that have gotten all these opportunities to do what they want to do. And that's, you know, they get a full-time job out of it. I think they've got to be reminded of what's gone before them to get where they are now and, and you know and and some people are gracious with it and some people aren't just because they're not reminded of what we had to go through you know you know until somebody pointed out you know 100 caps for England as an amateur and to go to work five days a week and play four games a season that in itself is a is, a, is no mean feat and you know when you look today it's so easy now for these girls to go down the path that they want to take and, and and that's how it should be, just like it is in, in men's and boys' football. It's, it, to me, there's no difference there. It's just that ours has been a bit more difficult to get to where we are now from when I started. And hard fought. And as much as, you know, I, I can feel that you don't want to sort of be angry and annoyed. And, you know, as much as that, it is about recognising your hard work on that front. I don't think I, I'm angry and annoyed. I just think we lost a generation. Yeah somewhere down the line and sometimes it's hard I mean I can remember going to a function in London to um, I think it was 400 years of, of, of the FA you know that we're celebrating 100 years on you know when do we have a significant time of you know let's celebrate women's football for how long it's gone on you know is there is there a timeline there we'll say right in the 1920s then we've gone 100 years in 2020 you know, there's never a timeline given on the sport of how long it's actually been going. And, you know, we need to find that timeline because then we can we can put that to bed. And yes, there was some in football, it was recognised from that date. Not when it was recognised getting back in with the FA, because all those yeah. people prior to going back to the FA, the likes of Linda, Linda Whitehead, who's a close friend of mine, you know, your June Jacobs, your Pat Gregory's, your Flo Bultons, they gave up a lot of their time and a lot of years without being paid. And they kept that football going, which enabled me to do what I've done for my career and go on to do 100 caps. So, you know, it's it's a big thing to a lot of people like myself who have had that lost generation and people before me, you know, like your Carol Thomas, the first 50, the first person to reach 50 caps for England. You know, it's all those things that people just, we just want dates, if you know what I mean. I do. I know, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. When you were growing up, when you were into football, who were your footballing role models at that time? Um, well, I'm a Man United fan, 
Tommy Sue. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah, uh, we could have we could have another podcast talking about them. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> Stevie Koppel. I love Stevie Koppel. And Brian Robson. They were me. Because when I started with Bells, I was a... I was on the right wing because obviously I was like a bit like a whip at my age. And then obviously as I got older uh, and stronger, because don't forget I was playing against women who were probably 15 to 20 years older than me. So you got physicality there, which then I, I couldn't understand then why I got banned from football because I, they allowed me to play against women who were <laughs> 20 years yeah. there. But then they didn't allow me then to play against boys who were the same age. It doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up at all, does it? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you know, I just think that we just need to... Brian Robson, I think, was the one for me, to be honest. And that's how I moulded myself. And, and not only that as well, I, I looked at other players as I was playing against them and what they used to do and different things like that, really. In terms of the, the logistics of you, Playing, so you're not the first footballer that we've had on this podcast to talk about needing to use annual leave to play for your country you is it right you worked in a factory yeah yeah i worked for a uh why you know the ifis that you have pioneer wi-fi's yeah. uh, i used to work in a factory there i used to work in a copper works factory and then i used to work um where else? i've had a number of jobs and we had to use holidays for international leave but i was quite fortunate because there were a couple of people that really helped me out who I used to work for and I got the off with paid leaves and things like that. But lots of girls gave up the jobs to play for England because they wanted to play for England. That's the big thing, isn't it? And you can't yeah. take that away from yourself. So they gave up, you know, the jobs. Luckily in those days, you could go out, you know, pack a job in on a Friday and go back in, into work on a Monday because there were plenty of jobs about. So like I say, a lot of them did that. A lot of them just you know, took hours off without pay. In in our first season, in our role model season, um, we spoke to Stacey Copeland about her experience and, and in her um, job, you know, she told about how she'd had to take annual leave and um, she d- didn't always get the reception that you would now hope that somebody would get, you know, with saying, I, need, I want to take annual leave to play for my country. Did Do you feel like with your generation, there was a recognition of that? Or do you feel like when people were leaving their jobs and starting new jobs, was there any recognition that that, that was a reasonable thing to be doing? No, not really, because a lot of the girls liked the jobs that they did. It's just mm. you, you had a choice. They had a choice put in front of them. You, you either play for your country or you lose your job. And a lot of them prefer to play for the country. Obviously, you're not going to give that opportunity away because that people can't set that away from you. No matter how many caps you, you've achieved, you have to play football for England. And what it's a crazy black, choice! Black and white. Yeah, yeah, but it's black and white. It's in black yeah. and white, isn't it? But yeah. that's what we did. You know, even Stacey Copeland, she'll tell us she used to travel all the way over from Liverpool to Doncaster to play. There were the things that people did. You just got on with it. Whereas now it's more accessible to to probably play for a club and you're not travelling as as far as, you know, as what we did. I think I've probably told this story on the podcast before, but um, I, when I was, I, um, I'm a football coach and I, when I was pregnant with um, my little girl, as it turns out, she's just turned four. And she, when I was finding out if she was a girl or a boy at the time, you know, you find out what their gender is. And I remember my, the girls I was coaching were, I think under 11s at the time. And they were really excited to find out because obviously it's something exciting going on to somebody they see every week. And um, there was this whole scenario with one of them where, um, 
I I had made this point of, oh, it like it doesn't really matter, and you know, it, where she'll she'll he or she will play football. You know, I'd love them to play football. That sort of comment, and um, one of them said, oh, I really hope she's a girl. She said it to the to another one. I really hope it's a girl, and then she can play football. And I remember like checking my my own sort of mentality on it because I thought, well, I don't want to tell them that actually that is an insane thing for you to be saying. <laughs> and of course it's not to that. And I remember having this conversation. I remember I, she'd said it to this to another one and then she'd, she said it to me. I hope she's a girl, then she can play football. And I remember saying to her, I love that you're saying that because that wasn't true. And I, I would never have said that as a child. And I love that, that you're growing up in a different world. And she fully schooled me. She just looked around at this AstroTurf full of girls playing football. We were all crammed in on this AstroTurf, all these different teams. And she just looked and went, they're everyone's girls. I was like, okay. That's it, you see, isn't it? It's, 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 it's a different generation now. They've been brought up with it. They've, they've obviously, now the WSL's been going, I don't know, 15 years, something like that. It's more accessible on TV and, and things like that. The, the women are more, what's the word? Um, oh, they're, they're more on TV, like so you, you're um, Alex Scott, you're Sue Smiths yeah. and, and more, and, and Courtney Sweetman Kirk. Lucy Ward, Rachel Brown, you know, that's never been heard of before. And they're all household names. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's the thing. And they're there, they're, they're more in the, you know, in the prominent areas of, of where to be. And, and and that's how it should be. And and I don't think there's any disrespect from, you know, male presenters or feet or whatever. You know, if you're good, if you're good, to me, it's, I like look at this like this. If a girl's good enough at 16 to play for England at age, it's got nothing to do with that age. If she's good enough, if she's young enough, she's good enough. Simple as that. And it's the same when people are commentating. If they know, if they understand, you know, they're very, very knowledgeable. And sometimes I don't think there's maybe some male uh, players don't give credit where credit's due. And I feel sometimes that it's as though they need to be more knowledgeable than than they might have to otherwise be. But you know, it, you know, that's just how it is. I mean, you look at yeah. Emma You know, she's going to be a revolution yeah. when she obviously when it comes to the Euros. When she commented, you know, she's got the background knowledge. She understands the game, and that's the difference. You know, you've got to have people who really understand the game. You know, I I, I think I understand. I mean, I've got my B license, coach, and things like that, my badge, but I do understand the game because I, I can have conversations with males in pubs who I don't know about. And they look at you like that as if, oh, <laughs> you do understand then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and yeah, yeah, I know a little bit about football. <laughs> but anyway, that's just how things have moved on. Yeah, and important to recognise it, as you say. How much, um, how much do you see yourself as a role model? How, how seriously do you take that? for future generations? Yeah, I just think it's difficult for me because, you know, nobody's really heard of me other than being on TV for different things at the moment. And, you know, probably young girls will say, oh, God, she's a bit old, I want you to play football. So <laughs> I don't know, really. I, I don't know. I just, I just, I'm a humble person anyway. Um, I know where I've come from. I know my background. I'm, I'm I, you know, I'll try and push the game as much as possibly can. And if there's young girls out there to pick up one thing of what I'm trying to pour over and they go out there and they live the dream and the dream comes true, then we've done something. Unfortunately for them, they never got to see me play or the other pioneers of the game. So because the game, you know, the technical ability hasn't changed within the game. 
it's just how much now they get, you know, it's obviously it's got quicker because they're training every day. They've got dietitians. They don't have a drink like we used to do. I mean, there were one girl and she's passed away for bells and she used to have a pint of beer before she played. <laughs> you know what I mean? So their crazy help? days have gone. Yeah, they did, yeah. And she would like to whip it. Um, but them days have gone. So everything's obviously pushed on to that next thing now. And I, I do think it's important now. It's an important year for England because they've got everything that they possibly need. I mean, I've been to St George's Park and I went, wow. You know, the turf's the same, the technical ability's the same, but all the other stuff's changed. So they've got to win something sooner rather than later. And I always think to myself, is it coming home this year? I hope it is. Mm, me too. So on that broader note then about women's football in England, what, what do you hope for the next 10 years, the next 20 years of women's football in England? I don't know, really. I, I think it's got to be sustainable, without a shadow of a doubt. I'd like to see... I know the championship now, have they've got more money invested into that. I'd like to see the milk, the, like the men's game, the money filter down to grassroots. Because yeah. to me, that's where I started, really, if you can say I started at grassroots. And, you know, facilities as well, that there be, you know, what we played on, we used our own car lights for, for floodlights to train. You know, so did you? Yeah, yeah. You used to just oh. highlights. Yeah, when it got dark. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, you know, I think all the, the the things that grow with football, we're never. Excuse me. We're never going to have parity with the men. Never, because the men's game's a different level. I think we've just got to take what we've got and grow that as as, as much as we can. Get major partners involved, major sponsorship things involved. Let them come aboard, uh, uh, you know, on board. But I also think as well, we've just got to be careful that we're playing in stadiums and you see a half full stadium because that doesn't, you know, that doesn't do us any good. I think the lower, you know, Man City might have the right approach that, you know, they've got that stadium there, the capacity is, mm. I think, 12,000. It looks great when it's full. But um, so I don't know, you know, how they're going to fathom that out, really, because, you know, you get a lot of the Chelsea supporters, all the, the, the top women's teams, I would say all of them now, you know, there are their fans that watch both women's and men's football. So we've got to be careful of, to somewhere we've got to draw the line and say, right, what we're going to do about this issue. We can never play two games in one stadium because that will never be it. You never get the women playing before the men. You might get them after, but then you've got the problem about the pitch like we've had before. We can't play in it. Why can't we play in it? Well, there's a match on it the next day. So it's just all them little things we've got to get right and tweak. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, in 10 years' time, it'll be where we might be seeing men and women's football played on the same day and encourage the, 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 the supporters to stay after watching one game and the women's play half an hour later. I don't know. I think that's the things to look forward to, really. But we're, we're going on the right track. We've got the right people in place. And I'm sure... You know, things will, will get even better than what the girls have got now in 10 years' time. So. Watch this space, eh? Yeah, I'd like to think, you know, we're going to be we're going to be there or thereabouts. But we need to we need to win some silverware. I mean, you know, I played in a final and I always like to be get so yeah. close and to lose on penalties. So, you know, to, to for them to go on and, and, and go that one step further with the home crowd behind you and, and things like that. And the way that the women's game is now. It's so supported, you know, locally as well. It's accessible. I mean, you know, you look at Rotherham and Sheffield, 
so easy to get to without having to, you know, get your car out. You can jump on the train as long as there's no train strikes. So, yeah, I think everything's all geared up and let's just hope now, you know, I think they meet today, I think, the England squad, uh, St George's. So let's just hope that uh, we can go that one step further. Yes, fingers crossed. Okay, last couple of questions. Um, this feels like a big one. Uh, what would, if, if I had to push you to say the best piece of advice you've ever been given or learned, what, what would you want to pass on? Um, somebody said to me, you're only as good as your last game. So you've got to give 100% in every game. Because if you're getting picked for England and you have a bad game, you might not be there the next game. And basically, live your dream. Dreams do come true. And if you want it, you'll get your dream. Ah, I love it. Jill, we are almost out of time. Where can we find out more? Where can we follow your journey? Just keep looking on the social media. There's going to be, on those platforms, there's going to be quite a bit out. There's something just come out, I think, on YouTube over the weekend. So um, about the Bell's plaque being presented at the Rovers ground, my journey, the greatness, yeah. where greatness is through Nationwide. And then there's other things coming out with UEFA. So, you know, just keep looking and keep watching. Exciting stuff. I'm quite rightly telling your story, I think. Yeah, I'm all for that. So you're on Twitter, uh, at the England Capped, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I've Who got my email, yeah, email address, englandcapped at yahoo.com. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's another story. But there you go. Lucky to have that one. Brilliant. I love it. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Jill. It's been an absolute pleasure. No worries. Thank you for having me on. You have been listening to C Sporty B Sporty from Totally Runnable Limited and C Sporty B Sporty CIC. For more from the team, find us at Totally Runnable on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. If you are loving our latest episode of the C Sporty B Sporty podcast, please, please leave us a review wherever you listen. Reviews are super important to small, self-produced, independent podcasts like C40, B40, and yours will absolutely help other people hear it too. Thank you so much and have a fab day.